0: Hello, good sir. Can you hear me okay? Hello, Steve?
1: Hello. Yes. (laughs) Did I figure this out? I seem to have. It took me a minute to figure out what was going on here.
0: No worries. How to get on the Anchor app. For those of you joining us, my name is Michael. Uh, This is Travel is Dangerous podcast, and I am i um, incredibly excited to have Mr. Steve Hinn along with me. Um, and Steve, correct me if I missed anything. The a drummer, percussionist extraordinaire for the choir. Um, he's also part of the Lost Dogs, as well as his, um, he does his own singer-songwriter stuff as well, which is fantastic. And um, he's also a producer as well of uh, the Prayer Chain, the Violet Burning. Um, he's done a couple of the for the Crosses. Um, sitting on a hill and just has been a a multifaceted musician and uh, a guy who I absolutely admire when it comes to his, uh, his art. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Sure. Nice to be talking to you, Michael. Did I miss anything at all?
1: Uh, Oh, you missed a few, a few things. (laughs) i no you you cover you, it's just fine it's just fine yeah it's just fine um i've been fortunate to be you know able to keep on making music and help people make music and and be a part of it for um let's see a few, several decades so i've got to do a lot of things and it's been great and I'm, i still am going
0: i have to do it i have to do it and i get to do it well that is fantastic so I think I spoke with you when when we talked last week. um, I remember seeing you guys open for Russ Taff in uh, Fresno in, I think it was like late 89 or 90, I think. And Mm. it was one of those things to where I I felt so bad because I was so excited to see you guys but I feel like Fresno was really, uh, kind of Russ country, if you will. Um, cause. Oh, oh, everyone hated us. Uh, that
1: whole, that whole tour we, we did like, I don't know, 40 or 50 shows opening for Russ and, um, oh, every audience I, I... hated us. <laughs> it, it, it was terrible. Um, I mean, it was like the biggest shows we'd ever played because he was playing arenas and um, there'd be a couple thousand people to see him and maybe a hundred people would be there to see us. It was not, we we shouldn't have been, that was uh, not a good bill for us. But anyway, Russ was great, great band, great, great. Uh, uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I huh? think it was 89. We had Robin playing bass. It was um, before we had done the Circle Slide album. So we went back after that tour and we did our Circle Slide album right after that. But um, that was a rough time. That was, that was uh, basically when we, after we did that tour, we knew that we did not belong. We couldn't be marketed. And, you know, we were on a Christian record label and we didn't belong on there. We realized that at that point there was just no way that we could be sold, uh, marketed to that audience. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there was no doubt after that.
0: Yeah. Fresno, huh? I'm, I'm well, in Colorado. Living... Is that, in
1: that, where are you now? In
0: Colorado. It's mountain bike Mecca. Um, we're about, yeah, we're about probably 15, oh, 20 minutes from cool. the Utah border off of uh, highway 70. So yeah, I was actually born and raised in Northern uh-huh. California. And then I went and worked up at a camp called Hume Lake, um, up outside of you know, and that's where I met uh yeah our beloved brother, uh Russell Pate. So Right, Russ
1: Pate who booked
0: us for a while. He yeah. he was our booking booking agent for a little while. So I remember him telling me it was so funny because cause after you guys played with uh with with Taft that night, Russ said, Yeah, man, he says I went out and had was like and you didn't invite me, like thank you sir and uh, and then yeah. I think and then uh, the the next time i I got to see you was um when you guys played a homeless shelter in Albuquerque and as the lost dogs and I think that was two thousand eight I think is when that happened yeah really that long ago we because we played that.
1: Okay. that particular homeless shelter many times um, we would it was our stop you know it was one of those there there was not many gigs to, to play in the southwest they're certainly not in Albuquerque but this one guy that ran the homeless shelter would would bring us in and it was always a good experience so yeah it wasn't a regular gig at all it wasn't for the I'm surprised you were there because there wasn't any like regular fans. It was just for the homeless shelter, but well, the crazy thing was, I guess you when, heard about it.
0: Facebook was doing what it was, somehow. was intended to do it. At, at one point it, um, it threw up. It said, Hey, um, you know, since you're a fan of the lost dogs, they're playing near you. And I was just like, eh, this has got to be a misnomer. And then it said, and then I looked it up and I was like, there is no way that this is happening. And, but, hold down there and I got a hold of the guy named Jeremy who was running <laughs> the place and I think he's actually passed um, yeah he passed last year yeah just and last so year he passed away I yeah. my wife, I was like we are date nighting this thing and I was like there's no way we're gonna miss this gig and I was just like this is the crazy I'm like they're playing a homeless shelter she's like what she's like yeah I know exactly where that's at because she was uh raised in Albuquerque and so um Unfortunately for her, Uh so so yeah, so that was really fun, and that's when I got to meet you guys. We showed up super early (laughs) because, again, me not being an Albuquerque native, I had no clue, and so it's funny because I got with you guys for a while, and just I mentioned to you guys, and you're like, Oh man, yeah, Russ. So we just had a really good time, but yeah, we might, and it's funny because when they talk about opposites attract. When my wife and I started dating, um, I was really into my, um, hip hop phase of the roots and Talib Kweli and most deaf, you know, it was hilarious because she would asked me in with a very quick, uh, dating time, engagement time. And, and then we were married within, I think, gosh, five months. And so it was funny because a coworker of hers, they were trading lyrics back and forth and, I started spitting out some public enemy or something like that. And uh, she's just like, what kind of music do you listen to? We've never really discussed this. And when I told her, I was just like, what, what do you listen to? And she's like, oh, man, I love DC talk. <laughs> like, oh, uh-huh. oh, boy. Like, this is, uh, is going to be interesting. And so I just remember, you know, thinking like, okay, you know, Let's just see how she does. And she came away, and she was like, they were the nicest guys. Like, man, I enjoyed that so much. I can't get over how much fun I had. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> for just saying that. It just made me happy. But you guys were so gracious. And, man, I think that was the biggest thing that I really took away from that. So. her name was oh, Dawn. That's
1: good. that's good. And what's your wife's name? Yeah. So. Dawn.
0: Yeah, she's a doll. But... Yes, yeah. we have our musical disagreements. My kids, my uh, my youngest, um, who has autism, she absolutely loves Rush. Much to my wife's <laughs> chagrin. <laughs> so yeah, but it's fun though. I yeah. I I've listened to music all my life. I mean, I was pretty much born into it, and then I played short for seven years, and so I absolutely just, you know, like I said, and I, I think the biggest thing for me, um, was, I remember it's just my youth pastor. Cause I, I was one of those kids to where I didn't, I grew up in the church, but I didn't listen to music. Um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I never found anything that I enjoyed. And, um, so he was just like, Hey, I think I got something here. And he gave me, uh, the youth choir tape. And I was like, okay, this, this I can dig. And, um, and I just remember that, and then that started my love, of, you know, um, and then I think you guys dropped diamonds in rain and became the choir, and I just you know, like I said, I've really followed your art along the years, and man i I really I think what's been cool is just for me, um, I'm not a drummer, I wish I was a drummer, <laughs> but I love the organic uh, feel that you've brought to different projects and things like that. And so I think that that's where kind of, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind touching on some of that stuff, just what kind of took you from the kit to maybe to some of the more organic sounds, if you will.
1: Right. Well, I'm not a guy that works any gear myself. I never could really program drum machines and all that kind of thing. I'm just not technical. I'm just, Um, but we, my, my partner, Derry, he was an engineer, very good engineer. And, um, he took care of that side of things. But anyway, I think what happened was we did it. We had, our studio was very small, um, in, in California, Southern California, Cerritos there, and we could barely fit a drum set in it. And we had, um, we did this album called at the foot of the cross, um, the first one on our own label called Glasshouse. We started this this, and we wanted to do, you know, we realized, um, we thought, you know, um, that we didn't like any worship music or anything that was out. And we thought, wouldn't it be great to do a worship record that, that we liked, you know, just to make something that, that we liked, you know, um, make, make the record you want to hear, I always say. And, And so, um, But anyway, Derry had, um, if you know anything about gear, he had a U47 microphone, which is a spectacular microphone, and he only had, like, one Neve module and one Trident module. Our console wasn't very good. Um, It was just a Soundcraft console, but we were determined to, like, record as much stuff as we could through the one microphone and using just these two, you know, the best modules. So I started thinking, well, I'll just hit a low drum and I'll play the snare. Boom, cack, boom, cack, you know. And I'll overdub like everything so that we're recording. (laughs) You know, we didn't have enough modules for a whole drum set, you know. So I got this mentality on At the Foot of the Cross of just like really Mm -hmm. building it like tribal percussion. And that's when I sort of got it. I went and bought a bunch of stuff. Um, that first, we, we took a $1,000, I remember, and I found a store in Pasadena, an import store, and really got a bunch of the stuff that I use to this day. All the stuff that I bought. Oh, wow. This okay. is 1991. I bought this stuff, and it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff we used on Mercury and, and with Brer Chain and all that because that was just a few years after. But um, I bought all this, and I started getting into this tribal like percussion thing around that time. Doombex, and I just wanted everything that was either from Africa or the Middle East. I didn't have much Latin percussion. I just really liked the Middle Eastern and the African stuff. Um, and just, that was kind of the start of it and building songs without a drum set, um, just because we couldn't, didn't have room for it, you know, and, and and enough gear for it. And we, but the sounds were very good. Derry's a great engineer. so. I'd just have something on the floor, like a low drum and a snare drum, and I'd hit it with mallets or brushes, or I'd try to find other things to hit it with instead of sticks, you know, maracas, tambourine, just approaching it differently, but basically mm-hmm. still having a playing a beat, you know? And then for the subdivision, instead of a hi-hat or a ride cymbal, I'd have a shaker, or else I'd get a wine bottle and bang on it with a mallet, or something to create basically what a drum set does but without one. And uh, that's the way we did at the Foot of the Cross Volume 1. And then, I'm a drummer too. I mean, we did a lot of stuff with drums and all that, but when, it, when the prayer chain came around um, and that was the first earliest stuff I started producing, um, they really got into that um, thing too, that sort of organic thing. Mm-hmm. And Wayne and I connected, the drummer and the prayer chain, Wayne Everett. We just we just connected. We were like rhythm brothers, you know, we loved each other. And um, so that kind of led to that. And then since then, I mean, move forward, like what, three decades or something, I still have a lot of that stuff and and have continued to kind of just approach things organically. I never had any lessons like how to play, Like, I won't play. There's some things I will not play because it'd be disrespectful to play the tablas, for example, because there's guys that spend their lifetime learning how to play the tablas properly Mm -hmm. or an Irish baron. You know, there's certain there's certain techniques and certain ethnic things that that I feel it would be disrespectful for me to play because I don't have the proper technique. Um, There's a guy in a band called Cayman's Call named Garrett that plays that stuff properly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, play the tablas. You know how to do it. But other than that, I just approach stuff like a rock and roll drummer, and I just basically, you know, and I think I always I joke around that if I've had enough to drink <laughs> that I'm the best um, tambourine player in the world, not just, you know, <laughs> and I'm just joking around. But I have my ten thousand, you know, what they say is if you get ten thousand hours in on anything, and I definitely have my ten thousand hours in on tambourine. Live gigs, I can shake with eat, eat my, both hands, just as good. I just, I'm like a like a happy like <laughs> happy monkey swinging in a tree, you know. Not shaking the tambourine, you know. <laughs> Percussion to me is fun, you know. Drums is hard work. Drum drum set, you know. When you got to get the, get all the drum track, I know. I just okay. did it with the choir. We're doing another new album, and I just uh, got the ninth, my ninth drum track done and the drums is like pressure because you gotta, mm-hmm. it's the vehicle the song rides in, you know, and you're you, it's like you're under the hot white light, the pressure you really get that drum track and you struggle with your my kick foot and my whatever, you know um, but percussion is like I'm jumping out of a tree into a pile of soft leaves, you know it is just fun, it's easy for me it's always been easy and um you know, I don't there's some things that I think that like people that have a great voice, you know, like a a young child that I'll meet that has a great singing voice. I'm saying it's nothing to be Mm -hmm. arrogant about because God gave you that voice and you're, you're born with a voice. So you need to sing. It's your responsibility to, to give that, to offer that to the world. What a blessing, you know, Um, and know that you have a good voice, just know it and don't be proud. And I'm that way with, with rhythm. I think with percussion, I'm like, when I say I'm the best tambourine player in the world, I'm just joking, but I've always had rhythm, you know, I've always, it's it's just natural Mm -hmm. to me. It's like a play, it's like a fun thing. It doesn't make me better than anyone else. It's no measure of a man, you know, (laughs) but it's a great gift that I have. And I'm so thankful because it has given me so much joy. And I just, there's nothing I'd rather do than (laughs) get up on stage and shake a (laughs) tambourine. But no, you know? and, I, and I think that's so anyway. Cool there you go. I think that that's where,
0: um, you know, that's that's why you're you're one of my favorite people, and 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 why I love Wayne and 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 all the guys that I've had on here is because I think it's you. You can tell there's joy in your art. Yeah, there's some there's some real sadness in the lyrics, but you know, you write from a deep place, and sometimes the deep places are are hurt places. But I think that you know I. I was talking with a friend the other day, and when I was younger, you know, a happy song went, went the distance for me. You know, the happier it sounded, the better off I was kind of a thing. But I, but I didn't have any of the uh-huh. life experiences that, that you had had or, you know, Mike Rowe or, or any of these other guys that I was really into. Um, I didn't have the experiences. And so for me, it was just like, well, God, this is kind of a downer song. Um, and, and I enjoyed it, but it yeah. wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't anything I really understood. And I, you know, I knew what I was singing, but I didn't really take into heart. Like, man, like God, He lived this, and He is living this. And I think, <clears throat> you know, obviously the older I get, now I can go back and listen to that stuff, and and it really hits me deep. You know, and, and it hits the it hits the good spots because, not you know, first off, I'm a dad, but you know, our youngest has autism. And so there's things that sometimes will speak to me on different levels than what they would to somebody else. And, and I think that that's, that's a tremendous gift that, that not only are you a great drummer not only are you a great percussionist, but you know, lyrically, man, you write some fantastic stuff. And and I've always appreciated when people who are artists share, share the hurts and share the deep things Because to me, it's just like you said, with the kid that's got the great voice, God gave him that voice and and he's to share it with the world. And I feel the same thing, you know, like I said, with you, I mean, I, I've always just appreciated how much you share your art with us. And I think that, that we're better people for it. And I think that, you know, I, I love to have that deeper understanding as well. It's like, wow, he's, he's, he's gone through some crap that's really shaped him, um, can have like kind of a short example of that? As I was reading, I've really gotten into Jackson Brown lately. And when I was a kid, I never thought I would really? get into Jackson Brown. Because it was like, oh, that's the parents' music. Leave that alone.
1: I'm going to go over here and flip through my album <laughs> and get the Pretender out right now and look at it. I've got nice. it right here. So I've got it right here. I discovered go on. his... Um, <laughs>
0: uh, I was searching for something. Oh, because... Because when I was younger, I was a big 10,000 Maniacs fan, and they covered These Days. And I know that there's a lot of people that have covered These Days. Um, but that's the version that I had first heard even before I heard his. And so I was listening to it, and I, man, I'm man, i thinking, like, wow, that's really deep lyrically. Like, he, he'd probably seen a lot by the time he'd written this. And then I went through and I started reading about, um, uh, what is it, the The Birds of St. Mark? Or Saint the Birds of Saint Marks, I think, is something something what it's called. And I had read an interview the other day that he did with NPR a little bit ago, and he was living in New York, and he was eighteen when he wrote that song, um, and he was playing it for Nico. And I mean, here is this eighteen year old kid getting this experience with Andy Warhol and Nico and the Velvet Underground, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, wow. yeah. You, you know, you weren't like in your late 20s or your 30s or, or even later than that. I mean, we're talking like 16, 17, 18, this guy's penning this stuff. And, and again, going back to the art, bringing it back around the long way, I'm like, I appreciate him sharing that with us because that to me just, again, it really speaks to me. And to know that he was writing this stuff at sixteen, seventeen. I mean, dude, that's, a, that's an old soul as far as I'm concerned. Because if they'd have asked me to write anything at 16 or 17 years old, we're talking 1985, 1986, it would have been about girls and fast cars and drinking. (laughs) It it would have been the day of of the hair metal. Uh (laughs) And it would have been horrible. But but I think that for me, I, I really start to appreciate guys like that and have gone back in and, you know, so...
1: Yeah, I'm just sitting here looking at this record. I got this, The <laughs> Pretenders, and I'm looking at it while you're talking. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people wrote some great songs when they are really young, you know, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. And okay. a lot. I mean, I grew up on that stuff. Um, you know, I, be- I became a songwriter, uh, you know, really young, and that was my first influences were those kind of – well, it was Jackson Brown and, like I said, Neil Young and James Taylor and those – 70s singer songwriter you know and that's when i started writing the thing is that they they wrote mm-hmm. songs that were honest about themselves um and i always remember neil young is singing i was thinking about what a friend had said i was hoping it was a lie and i'm like gosh i wonder what
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: his friend said you know i, I you know it's just but i i didn't have to know you didn't have to tell me what was the song was everything going on, but I had, I, I had Mm -hmm. this feeling, this is something that really happened. It's real. It's a true, I'm like a fly on the wall of a real, um, experience. Last time I saw Richard, you know, Joni Mitchell, or, 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 or even James Taylor talking about his heroin addiction, saying the junkie, the junkie's sick, the monkey's strong. That's what's wrong. Talking about his heroin addiction. I'm saying this guy, it was people dared back then, you know, that was new. That wasn't like, the, you know, that was kind of that that kind of songwriting. It changed in the I don't know. There, there's always all things going on at one time. So it's really weird yeah. to say, oh, a certain thing was happening at one time that wasn't happening because everything's going on. But anyway, I, I sort of adapted that thing where I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm just going to tell the specifics of what's going on. And because I related to it in, uh-huh. you know. As a teenager, and I feel whoever is going to relate, if I just tell the truth about my experience, even the specifics, like details, you know, you know, the guy in 215 yesterday, they found him dead. Why 215? Because that's the room. I mean, I just say the specifics, the specifics. Um, I think it makes things more original when you're very specific, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't alienate people because they feel like, oh, somebody's telling me the truth. And I'm relating to this experience, you know, and we have so much commonality. People have a lot of commonality. The most personal f- things are the most universal.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I completely yeah. agree. And I think that that's the thing as I get older and especially when it comes to my faith and especially when it comes to my kid is, you know, we used to question all the time of like, well, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm the, worst, the worst person to get handed a kid with autism. Um, Because I was older when I got married, I was still very immature, I was very selfish, and I got handed, um, you know, a a precocious eight-year-old boy at the time, and and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had been living with roommates and playing video games and doing what I wanted to do, and all of a sudden, I'm in this marriage with a boy. Um, You know, and I'd love to say I did everything right, but I didn't, and... Listen, Michael, I mean, there's nothing more.
1: Parenting is the most humbling thing. None of us does it right. Completely, you know, we struggle. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Parenting is hard. And it's no, you know, and people could tell you that to do this or that, but no, no situation is the same. No child is the same. Wow. He's 22 uh, how old years is, old is your son? How old is your son? Okay. Okay, I got a 32 and a 30. Two daughters, and they're challenging. They're still going through. I mean, look, I'm still going mm-hmm. through challenges in life. I'm 60. You know, are yeah. you going through challenges? <laughs> you know, it never stops. And it, it never, nobody gets a smooth ride, man. I mean, it. My daughters are going through challenges right now. My 32 year old daughter's going through challenges, and I'm. You can't fix it. You know. Yeah. Anyway,
0: <laughs> Life, it never gets easy. It's always, we always yep. have challenges. And, in and that's exactly season. it. And I think it's one of those things to where somewhere along the lines, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, you just look forward to the next thing. You know, like, oh, man, if I can make it through this school year, we're going to go to Disneyland this coming summer. And as an adult, it's just like, God, I hope I have enough coffee for tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I, I'm hoping right. that I can get up tomorrow and drink my coffee and go about my day and, and, and figure out what it is and but I think that there's I ha- I have a friend, his name is Chris and, and I met him up at Hume Lake and he has a really rare disorder and he's got this book out called Scribbles and his story is absolutely incredible. Um you know, he was he was talking about how his mother was actually planning his his funeral at one point when he was like 13 or 14 years old and he was just this depressed kid. And now he's a speaker and his name is Chris Simning. I'm going to throw this out there. If you, you know, if anybody reads, um, the book is called scribbles and that's fantastic. But he, he talks in such a way that he, again, he's a storyteller, but he, he doesn't leave any question. Um, the book so far is, I mean, he just, he dives deep into the details and he tells it like it is and, and it's just fantastic. But in that it helps me to say, okay, these are what he's going through and, and my eleven year old, you know, she's got autism and so we put our head through the wall or I freak through the wall or we'll come and attack mom and dad or sister or whatever. And <laughs> we have to replace all the doors in the house. It's it's uh you know, you you just kinda okay, this is where we're at. I never thought I would I would have a child like that, but, but you learn to adapt and you learn that. um, I think the, I think the biggest thing is, and I think this is where I feel like you're coming from with, with your art is you can hold it in and you can say, why am I the only one going through this? Or why am I going through this? We've met more parents. We've been able to encourage and say, Hey man, I'd love to tell you it gets easier, but it doesn't. But keep your head up because you're doing a great job. This is what this is what's going on with our kids, mm-hmm. and just like you did with me. I mean, telling me about your daughter's and saying I wish it got easier, but it doesn't. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Is so instead mm-hmm. of looking at her and thinking like, "Well, I hope I can get out the door tomorrow on time for my math class," um, and not have to worry about you having a meltdown. Now it's just like, well we'll see what tomorrow brings. And if you got to take a break because something's, you know, something's off, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk with you through it. You know? and, I, and I feel like mm-hmm, for me, that's almost kind of where music hits me is it's like, I'll, I'll walk with you through it. And I don't know how to explain that. It probably sounds weird to some people, but lyrically that's what a song does to me sometimes is it's just like that almost like comforting voice of like been there done that man and you know it's just i don't know i and and that's where i can appreciate a good artist be it a painter be it a poet be it whoever When, when you're honest it helps me to go okay if they can be honest about their shortcomings then i should be honest about mine because really who do I have to lie to? Because if I'm lying to somebody else, I'm, I'm lying to myself.
1: Right. That's absolutely right. And you're not doing anyone any service to act like you have things together more than you, you do. And that doesn't serve anybody, but mm-hmm. doesn't serve yourself or anybody. Um,
0: yeah. Um,
1: so let me get have, this straight. So have you, have you have a son
0: and a, a daughter. A we have a, our son is 22. And then there's a, there's a 10 year gap between him and my, um, our middle child. She's 12. And then we have the 11 year old. Yeah. Okay. I see. And our 12 year old, she is a mother hen. She mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about her. She puts up with, with way more than she should. Um, and she is just, it, it's the cutest thing because her and my other daughter, they call each other their best friend. And she just looks after Hannah um, when she's in school. She takes care of her. She's a big helper around the house. I mean, she'll just tell us like, Hey, why don't you guys go out? I'm going to, I'll watch Hannah for you. And she, her name was Gracie.
1: Yeah. What's her name? What's her name?
0: Yep, and she is just Gracie uh, and
1: Hannah. Okay,
0: she'll she'll just say like, "Hey, let me let me babysit her," um, and and it's just fantastic. But yeah. I I think that that's been the biggest thing, and and like and, and the coolest thing is, so my grandmother always sang, always had music. She owned the show tunes. She was into the big band stuff. So it got passed down to my mother. My mother's the youngest out of four kids, and uh, all of her brothers listen to jazz and um, different things like that. And so it's just kind of fallen into me. And I love the fact that, that not only was a past to me, but now it, it's like my kids, my daughter, both of my kids absolutely love music. So there's constantly music going on. And, and for me, it's just the most cathartic thing in the world to be able to have that going on, regardless if it's jazz or classical or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it's just so helpful yeah. to, to watch my daughter just light up when she hears it. And it's, and it's the cutest thing And I've shared up before, but we were driving in the car. And normally and this was, this was just a huge stuff for us is we could, <clears throat> excuse me. We couldn't turn on the radio because I don't know if it was just the sound, whatever the case was, she would melt down, could be control. Who knows? Um But one day I, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I'm going to turn it on. And if she gets upset, you know, I'll shut it off. And I'm not trying to piss her off, but we'll just see where this goes. And so she, uh, Hey Dada, who's this? And I said, oh, this is Rush. Well, what, what's the song? And I told her, I'm like Tom Sawyer. I like this. <laughs> I was just mm-hmm. like, do I pull over and cry now? Like, <laughs> like one of my kids likes Rush, like, holy crap, like, this and so it's the cutest thing, because now she'll get in the car, and she'll give me a big old grin, I, I think, I think we listen to Rush, I'm like, well, Rush it is, then, kiddo, and my daughter, Grace, will just shake her head, like, oh my gosh, (laughs) but But, but the cutest thing is, she'll grin, because she knows that I like it, and she knows that her sister likes it, there's little things like that, but there's just always singing, they love the greatest showman, and they love the trolls, and they love all that stuff, and and it's funny because I worked at a record store, so I became that guy that that looked down on everybody else for what they were listening to because it just wasn't cool enough. And then the kids' music shows up, mm-hmm, and I'm like, funny. you know what, if it keeps you guys happy and I see the grins on their faces, you know, why Why not? You know, and and I think that that's what it's about. Yeah. But um, what were you – so <clears> – <throat> So, you listen to a lot of singer songwriters. What, what influenced you to play the drums, though? My dad
1: played the drums and um, he had drums in the house um, sitting around. And, and I mean, he wasn't really a good drummer or anything, but okay. he played in marching band and stuff like that. And so, he taught me how to hold the sticks when I was nine years old, he taught me his cadences from venice high school in california you know and i still remember those uh those cadences that he, he taught me it was like i'm gonna get some sticks down but nice. i'm getting some sticks here in my house if you can hear it can you hear this yep. like can you hear him, the Hi, table sir. can you hear that so these are he taught me this when i was nine It goes the first cadence it goes that's the second the third the second one the third one is anyway my dad taught me that when i was nine yeah And then I just wanted to be a drummer, man. I just just wanted to be a drummer. I had rhythm. Um, I had rhythm, you know. And I I remember there was a a school function where a lot of choirs were singing. We were in the school choir. Even before that, I think I was eight. This is even before I played the drums. And um, there was like songs from around the world. I'll never forget this. And um, and, uh, they were doing Havana Maguila. Hava Nagila, yep. Hava Nagila, right? Because it was the Jewish song or whatever, right? And um, they're like, somebody was trying to play the tambourine, you know, and it needed to be, and I'm just like, and my dad was one of the choir directors, you know, he was was there. I don't remember how, but he says, my son can play the tambourine. <laughs> I'm like, <"I?" laughs> so I'm eight years old. And like, I'm going, well, you have to play it on the offbeat, like mm-hmm. Hava Nagila, right? Um, ching, um, ching, um ching, on the upbeat. You know what I mean. And most people can't play on the upbeat naturally. You know they, but for me, I'm like, yeah, the upbeat. And not only that, but I could go ha ba, ha ba, ha like, and they're like, wow, let's put you know little Stevie right front center. You know, and they put me in the front, <laughs> like I was a tiny kid. You know, and they put me right front, and I got all this attention. Like, wow, he can play the tambourine. And they. Like, and it was just like, yeah, I can play the tambourine, Not, you know. So I just, yeah, I had rhythm and I wanted to play the drums, <laughs> you know. And I did, and then and then uh, I I learned to play okay. the guitar a little bit when I was eleven. Somebody taught me the, the some chords and um, started a little band, and and I just thought, well, I don't. I'm always want to be the drummer, but I want to play enough guitar to to participate, okay. you know, in the songwriting process. And I started writing, oh, like, well, because I wanted, I was, po- I got into, I wanted to be a poet, too. I, was, I thought I was a little <laughs> poet guy, you know. <laughs> I was in touch with my feminine side, you know, right from the beginning, you know, but I'm like, yeah. So I want, I wanted to be the guy that writes the words and plays the drums. And that's what I started, like, I mean, from the beginning, I mean, like, I'm like one of the only people I know that, like, what I wanted to do that's my whole so life, rad. I'm
0: still doing. That's that's incredible. Isn't that weird? You know? I mean, shoot. We, we could end right there, and I'd be super happy. I don't want to, but I'm. that's just the coolest thing ever to hear, though, because, I mean, <laughs> it, there's not a lot of people that are doing that, you know? And I think for you to be able to say that, I mean, that's just, that's really cool.
1: I forget about it all the time. And then I, I remember, you know, cause it's not an easy way to obviously survive and make a living in being in music. music. Um, but I just look back at my life and I'm like, what the heck? I'm like writing the words and playing the drums, you know, and other, th- you know, and I got to work with, I'm do a lot more than that too, you know, but yeah. Um, it was just like,
0: I don't know. I guess it's a pretty fortunate deal. Did you have deal, any drummers you know? that you kind of looked up to that you had um, kind of wanted to emulate, I guess, at all? Were you into, you know, was there any bands that you listened to where you're like, dude, I'd, you know, I'd want to play like this guy or that kind of a thing, or did, was it just kind of all over the board?
1: Well, at first I liked, I, I was into jazz in high school. I was in the jazz band, so I liked okay. Buddy Rich and Louis Beltson and all those guys. But then, but then the jazz rock, what I call jazz rock, which is, which is uh, okay. Chicago and blood, sweat and tears. Okay. Because I'm talking late seventies now, or actually mid seventies, you know, I'm, and uh, Danny Seraphine mm-hmm. was the drummer that a guy named Chicago. I mean, uh, and I set up my drums like that in my room with two floor toms, a high tom and two floor toms, the jazz rock set up. Which I'm still I'm using now, um, and I like blood, sweat, and tears. And then, I guess the next oh, big wow. influence would have been Stu Copeland in the '80s. You know, all of a sudden it changed. This new thing happened. This new thing happened. That was like, what is happening? You know, when in the '80s music changed, and Derry Doherty. I met Derry Doherty, and he took me to see The Police um, early. Yeah. And then this band U2, you know, which are basically c- contemporary with us. U2 is our, basically, they our age. And um, so we were like, what? These guys are just like in their early 20s like we were. And um, so, um, yeah, I liked the way Larry Mullen played. I liked okay. Fleet, what a great deal. I liked the drummers that, that played to the song. Other than okay, Stu Campbell is an exception because he's a very busy, crazy, wild drummer. But for the most part, I like drummers that just really l- give the pl- give the song a ride. You know, like it's not a, because I'm a songwriter, I care okay. more about the song than the drums. You know, for me, like when I the way I approach drums because I wrote the words to the song. You know, I'm mo- I care so much about the song. It's not my ego is mm-hmm. not really wrapped up in the drums at all. I'm not trying to impress anybody <laughs> with my kick. What my kick foot is doing, you know, like I got this really fast kick foot. Yeah. This is going to be a. I don't give a, you know, uh, about that, you know. But uh, so I like Mick Fleetwood because it's just those the deep grooves, um, where he'd put the cymbal crash. You know, he'd play. He'd he'd play through the bar line and put the cymbal crash on, on an unexpected place. Kind of tribal. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not like a like Rush. I don't like. I mean, no, I wasn't a Neil Peart guy. I don't. I don't. I, I don't like. Um, I have ad yeah, most respect and all that. But I'm not the kind of guy that's ever been impressed by anybody. Mm-hmm. How fast up a guy plays guitar or drums or anything. It's to, to mm-hmm. me, it's all about the song. Like my favorite okay. band right now is War on Drugs. I just. I can't get enough of that and I just love how the drummer would just like ding ding pat ding ding pat ding 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 back ding 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 back ding, 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 the whole way I'll go listen to this guy he's not played one <laughs> drum fill yet he's not he's just I've seen him live many times and I just look at that guy I'm like look at the groove that guy's laying down it's so simple and then when he does it's so to me I'm most impressed by drummers that are okay have restraint you know Although, you know, I have fun in the studio. I like to create creative beats, but mm-hmm. it's very organized. I don't I don't like you know really frantic yeah, you know, show offy stuff. You know, so I don't I'm not I'm not there've been a lot of guys I've liked over the years, but um they're not the people that are <laughs> like, "What an amazing <laughs> phenomenal drummer." And I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about that.
0: I I think that's cool that you mentioned Copeland, especially, um, I mean, I've, I've loved the police and I, I'm, well, I'm 51. And so I remember. Well, you're pretty
1: old too. You're, you're pretty old too. I'm on
0: the, I'm on the the last half of the century. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. The police were always cool. And then I, you know, I grew up on Boston and stuff like that. And then of course, and, and i think yeah
1: well that boston that that boston uh, guitar tone was so fresh yep. and new nobody got a tone like that that fuzzy warm tone it made you it was all fuzzy mm-hmm. but it just made you feel
0: all warm inside you
1: know it was huge it was
0: yeah it, it was a great it was so and, innovative and so i kind of mm-hmm. cut my teeth on a lot of that stuff but um i think playing trumpet though like really kind of gave me some jazz leanings that i really enjoyed too and and i think that I think it's, well, I think it's really cool to hear you talk about drummers like that, because I think there's a lot of guys that they mention, like, oh man, like I just wanted to be like, you know, Danny Carey of Tool or, you know, Ginger Baker or whatever. But I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect because, well, I mean, again, I was in high school in the eighties. And so I remember, you know, of course the big guy was, uh, was Lars Ulrich, um, You know, do you hear that double bass pedal on a Metallica album? Like, he's so rad, and and it's and it's cool. (laughs) But then it just feels like it's a one-trick pony kind of a thing. And so, I I really admire that—that you know—that you've you've you play in that in that moment and you play in that pocket. And I think what's really cool too is, um, you know, just like you said, you're not really, you know, you're concerned, but you're not overly concerned because you know you are the lyricist, and so that takes precedent and you know, you're a songwriter. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, to be admired as well. And I, and I always, I always come up with a couple of guys, you know, like a Neil Pert. I mean, he was a lyricist for Rush, but then I also think of, um, uh, Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters as well, you know, you know, right. Spectacular. Him, him spectacular just coming off from behind the kid. I mean, yeah. first you're in Nirvana and then you're like, I got invited to play it for Tom Petty, but I think I'm going to pass that up and do my own thing. You're like, oh, okay then. And I just, I can appreciate the way that he attacks stuff, but the way he also lays back, but he's got a great voice. But I I just, you know, I, I think that that's where, again, I keep coming back to you, but it's because I've listened to you for all these years that I really respect is, you know, your, your music just sounds great. And it's never been anything I've ever, you know, like you said, when you were on the Christian label, it was never anything I felt like I had to hide from my friends. Like, Oh yeah, well I have the new Genesis album. Oh, that's the choir. That's no, my mother gave me that. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't blame you if you but, did, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was cool. And, and I remember like even Russ, like just, Telling me stories and different things like that when he found out he was just like, Oh, you like the cry I was like, Oh man, I love these guys. And he was like, Yeah, I used to book him." and he started telling me stories and and I just always thought that was cool though, but I think that's I think that's really, really cool. Um I keep saying that word a lot. <laughs> but just I I, I really admire yeah. You know the the routes that you've taken and and, and how you've kind of gone from the kit and done the the organic stuff and um, you know like we were talking a little bit earlier about you know you and Wayne having that friendship and and I remember you um, you yeah. guys brought him on tour for what Free Flying Soul I think yeah that's right that's right yeah
1: yeah I I just loved having Wayne around we had a real affinity and. Like Wayne's that kind of a drummer, you know, look at, look at what he's become. Mm. You know, he's, a, he's way more than a drummer. He's a songwriter. He's a singer. He's like, he's got music in, in his soul. He just resonates with music. Um, You know? And so, yeah, but we took Wayne out with us. I just liked Wayne. You know, I had a total <laughs> bromance, bro, you know, I wrote this song on my yep. solo record. I did a solo record in 97, um, remember and i wrote that song called dig in your style about wayne and it's like a total love song from one guy to another it's so funny you know i love that line you're so clearly <laughs> hetero who would mind if we <laughs> you know <laughs> it's really yeah um why are we talking about wayne let's see I did. You, you did yeah. you did a podcast with wayne before right
0: Oh yeah. man, really a delightful. Really person. great, really fun to talk to. I, I really I,
1: enjoyed that. I've had the that's the greatest one of the greatest privileges of my life. I've I've produced a whole bunch of bands. And uh getting in the studio with four guys or five guys or, or, or a girl once in a while. They traveled across the country to get to do their record. Maybe they've got three weeks, maybe they got a month, you know. But their mm-hmm. whole life has led to this. It's the the whole life, you know, and they're put everything on hold. They got off their jobs, they whatever they put their relationships on, their <laughs> whatever they've done, and the urgency and the excitement of helping guys to make a record was the thrill of my life. Many times I've got to I oh, probably wow. produced fifty bands or something like that in the you know, mostly in the nineties, and and um, I just and I. The, all I care about, really, I mean, I care about a lot of things, but as far as the music goes, it's like, do you still like your record? When I talk to guys 20 years later, whatever, 20, 30 years later, and do you still like your record? Yeah, we still like our record. We still like Mercury. Um, that's what I want, man, because you can't – hardly anything sells or makes mm-hmm. anybody any money. That almost never happens. And you, and you don't get to be in a band for, for very long. Most people, are they're lucky yeah. to make two albums, three albums. That's it. I mean, the, the longevity is so rare. But if you can paint a painting and still be happy to hang it on the wall and still like to still like to look at it, man. And and the relationships too, you know. And I've had these relationships because I care so much about. You know, being a producer is a servant's role. It's not. It's more satisfying to me, sometimes, sometimes than being in in a band. you because you're as an artist, you're, you've got our ego and we're all needy and we're all. Like, insecure but when you're helping somebody else make a record it's like all about them and it's so gratifying when you can help them to succeed and do something they're proud of that was i was never motivated by oh the whatever the record company we'll have to we'll deal mm-hmm. with the A and R guy whatever we'll just deal with it For it's not going to sell of course they want it to sell but i know it's not you know i'm just <laughs> it's not you hope it's going to sell and make you money but you know yeah, that just doesn't happen hardly ever. But are you proud of it? Did we make a p- good record? You know, uh, I'm so grateful for these experiences, and and many of them, I still have relationships with these guys. In most cases, they're 10 years younger than me, because I was doing it in my 30s and 40s, and they were in their mm-hmm. 20s and you know what I mean. It, it typically, typically, I was like 10 years older than them. Yeah, like you, you know you you're 52 I'm 60 you know so you're the, probably the age of Wayne and all those guys perching guys and um I just it's a, a wonderful that I got to do it um here's the thing um this is my favorite th- thing one of my favorite things in the bible it is uh monday thursday
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know the holy week you know um jesus what did he do? He he knew the next day was good Friday, right? He was going to go to the cross. But what did he do on that last day? He got his his beloved disciples together. And what did he do? He said this is yep. how you live and he washed their feet. He washed their feet. And did he wasn't he was showing them, he wasn't showing them, oh, listen, I want you to have a life of drudgery and misery and whatever. He was saying, you want to be happy? You want to ha- be joyful? Mhm. Serve other people. That's the greatest message to me in the in the in the in the Bible. And that that's what I've experienced when I do. You know, from my because music is a kind of thing. You're, people are trying to be a rock star. You're trying to like you go up on stage. People cheer for you. You sign autographs. Blah blah blah. And that never makes you happy. There's never <laughs> there's never happiness in in that. The exalt the exaltation. Exaltation of yourself—it's fleeting, even though it seems like it would be right. You'd think that the, being a rock star would be the yeah. happiest guys on earth. Guess what? They're not. <laughs> they're not the, They're not the, the most successful, famous people are yeah. not the happy, joyful people necessarily. And I'm not saying there's some of them aren't, but I mean really. But it's the servants of this world, the humble servants of the world, that are the happy, mm-hmm. gratified souls. And even and even in my music life, you know, when I've really experienced it, it's just like producing records and helping other well,
0: people. And, and even going back when you were saying, like when you're talking to these guys and saying, like, hey, are you happy with the record that you made 20 years ago? I, I can tell you, you know, as a fan, I I don't listen. You know, there's bands I listen to based off of nostalgia. You know, like a certain song will come on and I'll be like, Oh man, I remember I was this age when this song was popular. I remember that summer was, you know, such and such or whatever the case may be. And I feel this way with you, the Prayer Chain, the 77s, Adam again, you know, Daniel Amos, again kind of the kind of the big 4 in the 5, but it's it's it still sounds fresh. It still sounds good. And Murkier, to Me is is one of those albums that I I still love sharing that album with people. I absolutely love sharing that album with people. And because it was, I remember remember this girl and uh, she lived in the apartment across across from me and we were all in this Bible group together. And so we all rented the same apartment complex and she came out and she was just like, hey, I'm going to take these down and sell them. She's just like, I just don't want them. She's just like, I, I need something a little more worshipy, I think was her word. And I just was just like, well, let me take a look at what you got. And she had Mercury. And I was just like, uh, yes, and please, thank you very much. And she couldn't believe I liked. you know, she was just like, mm-hmm. really, you like this? And I was like, this is one of the most underrated albums that, that got put out this year. And I still feel that way. And I told Wayne that as well, when I talked with him, I, that album is so fantastic. It, 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 for me, I think of it right along, I mean, for me, and I know a couple of my other buddies would say the same thing. It's up there with okay computer, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's, there's albums that come out that I mm-hmm. just think speak to the time. Um, but then they speak to the now and that for me is one of those albums. And, and the same thing with, um, you know, free flying soul. And I think one of the coolest things is I, I think, I think I saw the video right before you had released skinny, but I did not know what a great voice you had until I was watching the, um, the cornerstone, uh, VHS all age myself. (laughs) Um, where you sang the warbler at the end and, that's one of my favorite songs, but hearing you do that just on the acoustic by yourself, I was completely blown away. And I was just like, why isn't Derry singing that? And then it was just like, when you started to, I was like, Oh, that's why Derry's not singing this because Steve's got a great voice. But, but I think it's one of those things though, to Uh where again, but I say that because, you know, maybe you don't see that, but, but my, my take on that was, First off, it's, it's a beautiful song, but you're the guy that wrote that. And so to hear you sing that instead of Derry, it, it meant, it didn't mean more, because trust me, I, I love Derry's voice. But I think it was just one of those things to hear you do it was just like, wow. Like, it, it just brought a fresh approach to it for me, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Well thanks for that. Yeah, it's very
1: vulnerable for me to do that. Um I don't consider myself a a good singer. What what does it mean a good singer? You know, what I mean my favorite yeah. singers Neil Young and Bob Dylan. <laughs> you know, I mean so what what makes a good singer? But I mean, Derry has a really great voice, you know, and um I love that like I sing a lot of the guide vocals on our records. You know, what guide vocals are you sing it and then and then later the real vocal gets on there and it always takes a big step up because mm-hmm. Derry's just, he's a singer, you know. But um, yeah, I, I, a thing like that is so personal and I did write it and sometimes you feel like, well, let's, do you want to hear how it was? How, this is mm-hmm. the way it sounded when I brought it to the band and said, here's, you know. And the, there's power and vulnerability once in a while. And so once in a while I'd step up and sing a song um, so yeah, thanks for saying that. Thanks for appreciating it. Some people think I got an okay voice. Some people are like, why are you singing? You know, <laughs> so, whatever. Some people don't like Neil Young's voice and I want to fight him. I I, I like, like, I don't think if I have a girl, you know, I, I don't think I could have a girlfriend that doesn't like Neil Young's voice. I think that would be, I don't care. She could be the different religion or different politics maybe, but <laughs> if you don't like Neil Young's voice.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> then I don't think we can continue. But a lot of people don't like his voice. You know what I mean? So it's just a, a funny thing about voices.
0: But no, I, I agree. <laughs> and I think that that's where it was funny because playing, playing stuff for Don it always kind of made me laugh. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you don't like this? And she's like, no, it's just too weird. And I don't remember what it was, but um, it would be different things. And then it was yeah. funny because finally like one day i was just like screw this i was like i can't take your stuff anymore and i put in you too and she was like who's this and i was like you too and um she was like oh i think i can kind of do this she's just like she's just like yeah maybe maybe play a little bit more for me and so she came around and it was really funny because the other day <laughs> gracie i was in the car with her and, and uh she said some of the effect and Don was just like, "What's that look for?" And she's like, "Dad played his music again." And she goes, "What was he playing? Rush?" She goes, "No, some band called You Too." And, and, and Don goes, "She goes, you didn't like it?" She's like, "Oh man, I love that band." And I was almost like, "Greasy, could you go to your room? Your mother and I have to talk." Like it was just kind of one of those like. Yeah. Did you just say, do you like one of my favorite bands too? Like this doesn't happen that often. So we need to mark this on That's a tree, funny, do yeah. something to where we remember this moment. And we can come back to it when I play something you don't like. So, but yeah. Well,
1: I think, it, yep. I think people should be able to like whatever they yeah, like. And,
0: and absolutely. And and I, I haven't always felt that way. Like I said, when I when I worked at Tower Records, i I was not that guy. I was a I was a I was a record critic. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I was fantastic at what I did. Um, I never wrote for the major magazines, but I was really really good at telling people their music sucked. So I was a really good record critic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's all right. That's okay.
0: Yeah. I never
1: mind if somebody doesn't like our music or I just laugh at it. I don't, I don't care. You know, Uh, you know, most people aren't going to tell, most people that don't like your music aren't going to tell you. (laughs) Some do some now on Facebook and some people just, they they act like you're not even in the room, (laughs) you know, they'll say anything. Um, They don't realize I'm I'm reading this. I'm sitting here looking at your comments, you know, one particularly like when I do sing a song, and they're like, "I don't like it when Steve sings." I like it. Why would Steve? sing? Yeah. You know, and they'll say it, and I'm like, "I'm, I'm right uh, here." Part of this thread. not <laughs> know if you need <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. It's this this area, this time we're living in with this Facebook <sighs> and all this stuff. It's just such a strange, it's strange yeah. waters to na- navigate, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's. I I love it in the yeah. fact that I have so many friends. from you know, when I used to do missions and traveled around the world and different things like that to where, you know, I, I love it for that. But then it's just, it. some days it breaks my heart to see people that I absolutely love just say some of the most asinine things. And just think that they're completely right. okay to say it because of whatever political aisle that they're on. And I just... Mm-hmm. I I just struggle with that so much that this is what we've become um, in the face of all these things. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, yeah, I can be brash and outspoken and there's times where I don't have a filter. And so, yeah, there's times where I get pissed off and I see stuff and I'm like, nope, I'm saying something. And then there's other times to where it's just like, do you want to do that, though? Because you hate people that do that, you know? And so I'll just, like... You know, I right. just become that guy like, cool, you know, you said something that may, may or may not hashtag trigger me, um, but I'm just going to scroll past it because I'm not going to, you know, my, I have too much going on in my life to really care what you think. And if this is the hill that you choose to die, well, Godspeed, but I think you're, I think you're really fighting the wrong yep. battle. And if we were friends, I would say something. Um, because you're really bold and brash about who you're talking to and whatever else. And so I really try and, you know, for the most part, not comment on pages if I don't know the people. And I just like, eh, I'm I'm staying out of this one and I just watch people, you know, <laughs> well, I think it's funny. I don't know why I laugh, but I find it funny though, when it's, um, I have some family to where sometimes they'll jump into it and like, Oh man, I'm going to watch you get tore up. And part of me is kind of, kind of going to enjoy this. I shouldn't, but you're like, "Eh, Uh you, you, you fired shots. So, (laughs) but yeah, I, you know, and I think that, well, one thing, and I meant to tell you this and well, here, we'll just bring it up now. I really appreciate talking to you on the phone the other night. Um, I got off the phone with you and I told my wife, I said that was one of the most genuine conversations I've had in a long time. And poor, poor Jeff Elbel was my, uh, was my Guinea pig. Um, he was my first interview and I was nervous as all get out to talk to him. And I tried not to sound like it, but I was just like, uh, you've Okay. And then by the time I got to Wayne, I was just like, man, like I'm I'm feeling like I can have conversations and not so much be that guy. And then again with my friend Jared. And even now with you, I'm just like, man, it's just rolling (laughs) off because you're just so easy to talk to. But I I was really appreciative of you just saying, like, hey man, what's your audience like? And this is just who I am. And I would much rather have that than you know, than, than just someone that's, that's timid and will answer these questions, but I'm, I'm not going to tell the truth if that makes sense, because I think that that's, I don't want that. I I don't uh-huh. care if I agree or disagree or whatever the case may be. You know, I, I want to have a conversation and sometimes, you know, even if we agree to disagree, it, it's still something where I'm, I still want to walk away and learn. I'm not, I'm not sold that I don't want to learn anymore. As a matter of fact, it's like, I tell my kids, right. you know, I tell especially Gracie, I'm like, you know, the older I get, the less I know, and it's completely okay. Like, <laughs> I'm completely fine with not knowing everything, because I'm I'm on a journey, and and that's where you know that's where I'm at. I'm, I, I still want to learn. I don't I don't want to take things for granted, and I don't want to tell people this is how it is and this is how it's always going to be. Yeah, are, some, are some things resolute? Absolutely, but. I don't ever want to be that guy that shuts somebody else off because maybe they think differently than I do. So. Mm-hmm. But.
1: Yeah, I want to have conversations where, where I can learn from people, too. You know, I, I'm, I'm open. Bravest mind is an open mind. And um, I don't really have a terrible need to convince anybody of anything. Um, if, unless I can be of, of help or inspiration to other people, I don't know, you know. Um, my best friend, uh, who I spend a lot of time with, name is Leo, I refer to him as Songs or whatever, and he has a very different uh, political point of view. Well, I, I tend to be a liberal or on the left, you know, and he's very conservative, and and he's smarter than me and knows more, Spent pay, you know, reads a lot more... And so I don't want to argue and try to convince him anything I want to learn from him. But I I feel what I feel for Mm -hmm. a a lifetime of reasons. You know, I'm not like people say you drink the Kool-Aid or whatever. What do you mean? I've I've been forming my opinion since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. You know, I remember when my first memory is political memory is uh, John Kennedy Jr. standing there saluting the casket, you know of John Kennedy being shot and dead. You know, I'm like, what happened? The United States, I'm like four years old and he's three years old. And I'm like, i I'm like, uh, President of the United States is in the casket and it's got the American flag over it. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> Richard Nixon, Watergate, you know? Roe versus Wade. I remember Roe v. Wade. That happened in 1973. I was 13 years old. All the talk about abortion, abortion, you know? 1973, I'm 13 years old. This is how long this stuff yep. has been in my life has been talked about. And uh, my opinions are, and feelings are, are a lifetime of, of uh, and being influenced by different artists. I remember when Bruce Coburn album yep. came out called Stealing Fire. And it was all about the, what was going on in Central America. And um, if I had a rocket launcher, yep. some son of a bitch would pay. You know, pass, a yeah. pacifist just finally lost his shit and said, I, I right? Um, and I'm influenced by this. And I, it's been a lifetime of, um, so, but I still am learning. I still am, like, the great divide that's going on right now. It's just, it's, I've never seen it this extreme or this, um, it's, so, it's so terrible because, see, we have commonality. Me and my best friend, Leo, we have so much commonality, so much commonality. And we, we talk and we talk about it. We both think abortion is a horrible mm-hmm. thing. We both are pro-life, you know, but how do we, what's your vote going to do? How, how do we get from here to there? And um, yep. let's talk together about it, you know, and all the, the, the racial stuff that's going on, the, the, the racial inequality and, you know, what's going on on the foot. We watch a football game and like, okay, what happened, you know, last night with the players going out and and doing that, that, that thing, that, that thing of unity, trying to show unity. And then the crowd is booing, you know, and, and, uh, how do we react to that? Well, wait a minute. What's, I don't know. I I don't, I don't want to convince anybody. I want, I like it that my, my, that I have friends Mm -hmm. that are diverse and we can talk about it. Uh, we're not, we have, like I said, we have commonality. We're not just because someone thinks Says one thing or another doesn't mean their heart is any more meaner than mine. I have cruelty in me. I I, I, I have meanness and selfishness too. Yeah,
0: no, and, and we I all agree, do. And I think that that's been one of the biggest things. Like one of the one of the eye opening things for me was I used to work at uh, Sam's Club and I worked in the in the meat department and I worked with a, a guy named Oscar. And he was on the DACA program and when I heard the stories and. And I'd really done an about face, you know. Growing up in California in the in the '80s, and I've shared this, so I won't bore everybody. Um, I keep saying that, but then I remember you've probably not listened to it, so you haven't heard it, and so I I discount you out at that point. But I remember in the '80s, growing up in California, and hearing about how um, our fellow brothers mm-hmm. from the south and sisters were going to come up and they were going to take all of our jobs, and. You know, it was just gonna be horrible. Uh, we were gonna get taxed and we we're gonna to have to pay for their families and we we're gonna to have to do this and have to do that. And I just remember hearing all these different things and they do a great job and I think both sides do a wonderful job of the fear mongering. Um of you know, the scaring you know, they they both do sides great job too. both sides too. out of you and making you think like holy crap, like man, like I better I, I better do this, and I better do this right, because man, my my life, my job, my kids, everything depends on it. And I'm not saying that there's not things that aren't big Mm -hmm. enough to kind of think about that in that scope, but for the majority of the things, it's like, eh, you know, it it is going to come down, but at the same time, though, I'm not going to let the fear rule me. I'm I'm not going to buy into it, and I'm going to continue to be who I'm called to be. And and that's to love people, regardless of what side of the aisle on, regardless of god they worship regardless of, of whatever yeah. the case may be I, i'm not i'm not called to, to cause division and strife i'm I'm called to be a peacemaker and that's who i've always wanted to be and so you just hear these these things but talking with oscar it really just opened my eyes up and it was like holy crap you know he's just like oh man yeah i paid the taxes but i've never seen a tax return um I have to pay for all of my college up front. And I remember, you know, you just hear these reports of like, they're getting free college. They're getting free healthcare, They're getting free this. They're getting free that. And you're just like, well, this sucks. You know, like, how are they all getting off like that? And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the midst of this. And is just like, what did I call you to do? I've called you to love. Okay, cool. Who have I called you to love? Everybody. Okay, you've called me to love everybody. Okay, and any any more questions? No, I don't think so. I think I can go my own way now and <laughs> I, I, I've I've been harassed enough yeah. by the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit to 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 shut my mouth for a while. And so it's one of those things to where mm-hmm. now I love I've always loved people from different cultures and it's you know, I, I kid my mom, I'm like I'm like, I love our family. I'm like, I love the heritage. I love the different things, but I'm like, God, we are such a boring, <laughs> like we don't have like, a, um, like traditions. I mean, we do, but we don't. And and I see the other cultures and that's where I, I man, like, you know, the Italians and, and, you know the Latino culture and the African American culture, whoever it is, they have these wonderful traditions that they do, and the way that they respect the grandparents, and they, the way that they respect the parents, and, and even the way that they treat each other as siblings and things like that. And like one of my favorite cultures is the Polynesian culture. Um, when I did Hawaiian, I toured with um, I toured with those guys, and they just welcome everybody in. And the way that they treat you, it's literally like just sitting there with Jesus because they just want to serve you and they want to know about you. And I think for me, that just really opened up my eyes. But I agree, and I and I I can I don't know if I have a side of the aisle anymore, you know, and I'm completely okay with it. I I, I uh-huh. want balance. I want I want people to be taken care of. But what I really want is I want to. I <clears throat> to be quite honest, I want the church to be the church. I, I want, I want the church to do what it says it's going to do, which is going out and loving the least of these. And, and that's what I'm sick of is I'm, I'm sick of seeing people going on Sundays bragging about how they went to church, but then Monday morning comes, you don't even know who they are because they've completely abandoned, you know, the fellow man that they talk about on Sundays that they need to go and help. And I'm not saying everybody does this, but I just mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm a cynical son of a gun when it comes to that kind of a thing. And so that's where I just I have to go, OK, instead of complaining about it, what am I going to do, who can I find that's like minded and who can we go out and just and just love on? You know, not not proselytize, not telling me better get right before you get left and all the other fun slogans and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> All the lovely bumper stickers and Mm t-shirts. But who can I genuinely go out and meet and and find out about them and say, man, we have a lot more in common than we do, than than we don't have in common. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, we have, yeah, we do have a lot of commonality.
0: So Mm -hmm. did you guys ever was there any place you traveled to that you absolutely loved going to?
1: Man. Well, I love the whole country. I love this whole country. I really do. We've traveled it so many times in a van and dairy and I just love it. Still. Anytime we get to get in a van or in a, or a car or whatever. Um, I love every part of it. I love how the food changes and the scenery changes and um, but I guess the I mean getting to go to Europe a couple of times, you know two or three times is was pretty great. Um, I don't know if yeah, you're asking like, me: oh, what great wherever, places in the world or
0: even here statewide uh,
1: uh, Well, I mean the most beautiful place in the world that I saw was Switzerland love that I really enjoyed paris a whole lot and um but i don't know this country i love the yep. whole country i'm telling you i it just it's it's great to travel it people are just it's it's a it's a wonderful country and and it, you know east to west you know i i don't That's know i cool. can't i don't have a favorite really i i I love the whole thing and and it just people are are I feel most people are good, you know, yep. I just, I, I really like people, you know, and I, I look forward to going, uh, getting to the East and getting to the Southwest and the Midwest. And I don't know, it's just the whole thing. I, I, what can I say? I, I love the diversity of, of people. I'm so thankful to have gotten to travel. That's one of the best things about best benefits of having been in music is getting mm-hmm. to travel like we have. Um, and Europe, like, you know, yeah, all, I, I, I can't even that's pick cool. a neighbor. No,
0: that's, that's really cool to hear. And I, I, I think the same thing I've, I think I've notched. I think maybe half the States off, um, from my travels. Um, and I've been to Europe, I've been to, uh, the Netherlands, Denmark, uh, the Scandinavian, uh, countries there. And then, um, Belgium, and Germany, and I've uh, been to Mexico, Brazil a couple times, and then Canada a couple times, and and I hear you. I don't I don't necessarily know if I have a favorite, And even, even with the States, and I agree 100%. I think I think my favorite part was just getting to know the different people along the way. Um, you know, just getting a chat. One, one of yeah. the things that always made us laugh, though, is um, we did a couple tours in New Mexico and Arizona, and when we would tour we would go out for you know like a month and a half kind of a thing and so um you know we'd stay for a week in each of the cities kind of a thing and um and when I say cities I mean it could be even like a smaller place like Clovis, New Mexico or Albuquerque or wherever. And and what was always funny though is whenever we go to uh to some new town and we go to um go to meet our host homes, the little ladies in the church or wherever would always say, tonight's meal is going to be uh, green chili, you know, enchiladas. And I bet you've never tasted our green chili enchiladas. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, like, right, ma'am, I have eaten nothing but green chili enchiladas this entire tour. <laughs> but, you know, they all tasted different. They were all super yeah. sweet, but it was just hilarious, though, because we, we always chuckled on that, like, like, get ready to act surprised at tonight's dinner, everybody.
1: <laughs> right. That's funny. That's funny. Well, it is the people, you know. I look forward to now we've toured so much that mm-hmm. every place we go, we have friends. And so we're like, oh, it could be Cleveland or whatever. It could be New Jersey. Like, oh, I hope so-and-so is going to be there. You think that old man's going to be there that was there? Do you think so-and-so is going to be there? We look forward to yeah. the people that we've established relationships with. And that's the best thing about it. Mm -hmm. Wherever it is, it really doesn't matter where it is. What makes it unique is every individual. You know, when you have a relationship with somebody you look
0: forward to, to reconnecting with. That's really cool. I, I, and I, like I said, I've always appreciated that when I was a kid, I, um, you know, I got introduced to you guys right around the same time as it, that I got introduced to the 77s and, um, and I remember working up at Hume Lake and it was funny because we were down in Fresno and we saw a flyer that said the 77s were playing the wild blue. And I just remember like, Oh my gosh, like there's no way. And so, um, I got to go and we showed up so early that we got put to work <laughs> <laughs> and to run mic, you know, to right. run, uh, to run mic cords and cables and all that fun stuff. And, and I absolutely loved it cause I was doing that for Russ, um, I was working in accommodations but Russ was doing uh some of the winter camps and the summer camps and so I go and help him out quite a bit and he's he's just my big lovable older brother as far as I'm concerned. Um and so I really right. got to 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 love doing that with him but it was super fun just to be able to go and see those guys and I just kept thinking like there's no way you know I'm going to see this legendary band in a bar and I, I still feel that way when I get, you know, like I said, so when I saw you guys come through, you know, Albuquerque, I was like, holy cow, like, man. And I, and honestly, I think that's the thing that I miss most about um, with this whole virus thing is, you know, first off, I feel bad for us as fans of not getting to see the live shows. But then I keep thinking like, okay, at least that's not my livelihood. And then... Enter shameless plug forever. Mm-hmm. Who's listening? Please go to Bandcamp and download. Um, you know, get some merch from the choir and Steve and and all these different artists that he's been a part of. Man, they they need it like just everybody else does. And so again, um, Bandcamp. Um, do you guys see much out of iTunes? Probably not. I'm imagining, or um,
1: probably not. I don't know. You know mostly probably from our 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 website you know okay. direct from us is probably the best way but um yeah i just don't care i just want yeah. people to hear our music and listen yeah i just I'm, I'm just like, thank you for listening i appreciate it we'll survive we'll survive well i just appreciate that people listen um and that we get to keep making music and people a a, a handful of people still listening and it means something to them they they carry our songs in their hearts, you know, if, if I'm very proud and excited about the new record that we're, we're finishing right now, our 19th album. And um, yeah, right. And um, it just, if I can share it from my heart to whoever's heart, you know, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I want. Thank you so much for listening, anybody. Um, I still got things to say, and we still got melodies to offer and we're still rocking pretty hard for for old guys, you know, and we still listen. I mean, every time I go into the studio, Derry's like, have you heard this? Have you heard that? You know, new bands, new bands. It's always new music. You know, we're not like all like, you know, just listening. Oh, yeah, we're right down the road in the van and listen to the 70s uh, sometimes and old time, but we're always new music, man. What's 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 going on? What are these kids doing? So... You know what, um, Michael, My, my one okay. of my earbuds has died. So I'm going to have to wrap it up pretty quick because I might just like be gone. You know, like it happens when you're watching like the news and somebody's well, – I guess we're used to that in this yeah. day and age. Like, oh, we just <laughs> lost so-and-so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? But I'm getting down. Now, now one of my earbuds has died. So no I don't worries. Know next well, Steve, man, I mm-hmm. have
0: – thank you again so much for, for joining me. And I, like I said, again, I thank you so much for just, uh, you know, your gift of art and um, just your heart, just uh, wearing it on your sleeve and just for being just so incredibly transparent. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I uh, will always take away from you and your music. So thank you for that. All right. Well, you're welcome. And thank
1: you so much, man. And thanks for reaching out to me. And I look forward to hearing uh, this podcast and the other ones. I'm going to go back and listen to the one.
0: Awesome. uh, Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve, you have a great night, sir. Yeah, you too.
1: I'll talk to you another time soon. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.